obsess over your customers um, in ways where you like really, really understand their like, you know, job to be done, right? That which is, and, and here I reference like the Clayton Christensen model of like, what are people actually looking to hire somebody or something for? Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, a serial entrepreneur who's grown several startups in the seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com and we're always here to help. Now today we have another great guest on the podcast, Mark, and I'm going to slaughter his last name, Horowitzowski. Horoshevsky. I'll, I'll jump in there with you. <laughs> it's, a, it's a hard one. <laughs> so to give you a quick introduction to, to Mark. So Mark uh, comes from immigrant parents. And when they uh, came to the U.S., had a big focus on community and leadership in high school. Um, both parents are also cancer survivors. And uh, or while they're in school, um, someone, or they were looking for help on to do a overnight walkathon to help raise money organize or helped organize that and the next year i think uh their mark continued to help and to recruit more youth went to college at the university of washington where someone asked him to kind of put on the same event uh while doing that he was also studying accounting ended up graduating with accounting got into the busy season of accounting wanted to do some volunteering but because it was a busy busy season with accounting didn't quite work out so decided to switch a bit of uh, gears and focus and went to small healthcare marketing company, did some accounting uh, there and also did some marketing and then spun out and did his own company that's in digital marketing. After the great recession, the owner wanted to sell and so did some stuff there um, and, uh, and and moved on. And then uh, spending a year traveling, working with some organizations, started a blog and, uh, and then uh, moved on to the, or continued on with the current company is doing now. So with that much as an introduction, and hopefully it's at least mostly accurate, welcome on the podcast, Mark. Thanks, Devin. Excited to be here. So I gave kind of the quick run through and the hopefully the mostly accurate run through. Um, but with that, you know, um, I take us back in time a little bit to kind of uh, how things got started for you in high school and how you got things set up and and uh, where your journey started there. Yeah, well, you know, and I th- I think it's apt that you that you kind of pulled out the you know the parents as, as immigrants to to the United States that. I think in many ways had a, had a profound impact on me, right? Hearing their stories of change and this investment on, on family and community. And, you know, you, you have a choice, right? You can contribute to your society and to your country uh, and to the, to the world at large, and, and you can help create a, a future for yourself, um, or you can, you can just kind of roll with it. And, uh, and so I think from, from early on, that was kind of bestowed on me and, and the way I found uh for me to do that early on was through volunteering. So I spent a lot of time in volunteering on community events. You mentioned with the American Cancer Society that that program was called Relay for Life. Uh, and so I think as I, you know, as we kind of fast forward through there, as I graduated college, yes, I had a master's in accounting, but I also had, you know, by that time spent, uh, you know, countless hours managing other people, right? Influencing without authority, uh, mm-hmm. motivating others, um, figuring out how to make things work on super short budgets on super tight timeframes, but for the sake of a cause bigger than self. And quite frankly, when I got into the workplace, 
that that was missing for me, right? That I, I loved doing this volunteer work. I didn't have the same energy around, you know, say, say busy season and accounting. So I really, I really went on an exploration to do that. And hmm. when I, when I went into that experience, I learned that there are businesses that exist for profit. Uh, and when times get tough, they will do everything in pursuit of that profit. Uh, but at the same time, there's a new type of business entity that was being created, uh, the idea of a social business or a, or a benefit corporation. And that was an entity that said, let's actually put things like our workers, the community, and the environment at equal decision-making priorities to profits. And when I learned about that structure, I really wanted to get more involved with it. Um, so yeah, I spent a year traveling and volunteering to support those types of business models, uh, and then ultimately launch moving worlds, which now helps build those types of business models into more sustainable and scalable businesses by helping them partner with corporations. Uh, so so you jump, I'm going to, I'm going to pull you back a little bit because we jumped sure. over most of the journey. So we'll go back. Sure. To bit. One of the things you mentioned was in high school, you started to get involved with walkathons with your parents being cancer survivors wanting to help out. So yeah. maybe take us back a bit in time to kind of, because that seemed like it built on a bit of your journey and had an impact later on and some of everything, yeah. organization to management to kind of what you're doing. So how yeah. did you get involved with the walkathon as a high schooler? And then, because I, I think that also pulled through to when you were in college as well. So how did that yeah. interplay with your journey? Yeah, you know, um, I, you know, my, my parents are, are, total troopers, right? You know, they, they both went through their cancer bouts and, and they hit a lot of that from, from us, us being my, my brother who's two years older than me. Um, but still, you know, we, we, we saw the effects of it, right? And it was real and it was challenging. And um, I, you know, from early on admired the sacrifice I think that they were making to hide their own hardships for us, from us, us being the kids so that, you know, we didn't have to kind of live the, you know, the, the hell that they were going through. And, so in high school, there was an, this event called Relay for Life, which was this 24-hour run-walk uh, event um, to, to raise funds for, for the American Cancer Society. And someone came to our school and said, hey, we're, we're, we're looking for a, you know, if anybody wants to get involved with this, right, it's a school thing. You get to spend the night on the track. Um, of course, you're going to have chaperones, but you get to spend the night on the track. Um, and we went there and, uh, you know, f formed a team with my friends. Uh, one of my other friends, actually, when we heard the, the presentation about it, he was like, hey, we should do this. And by the way, you should be our team captain. And I was like, well, that makes sense. I, I think I should, given, given the, the circumstance of my parents. Um, and I'd such, you know, we had such a blast doing it. And we, we spoke to the, the organizer of it and just said, hey, next year, if we can get more involved, we can bring a lot more, a lot more youth here. Uh, and we weren't the only um, event in the nation that was really engaging youth in, in the fight against cancer, but we were one of the early leaders of it. And so we caught the attention of the American Cancer Society because they saw this big movement of youth getting more involved than ever before through this event. Um, and so when I went to university, they were trying to start the same event and they said, hey, you know, Mark had done this stuff at this other event, maybe he could get involved. And you know, this was early 2000s, right? We, we um, you know, pre-Facebook, pre right? Like we were, we were, we were, you know, doing this with flyers and, and tabling and, you know, uh, hustling people on the street, tell them to come, you know, create teams and fundraise with us. And when online did hit, we were one of the first movers into online fundraising. Uh, and in fact, we, we set some records for the American Cancer Society about online fundraising for events 
which kind of, again, you know, right time, right place for me. But they said, hey, you know, here, here's a here's a kid that, you know, knows how to mobilize people and knows is kind of forward on this trend about using, you know, the Internet to fundraise and mobilize. And so uh, I was asked to then start traveling around and actually training other community events on youth engagement, uh, on digital fundraising. Uh, so that kind of led, you know, I don't know if I can skip ahead, but, but that led to part of my transition, right? I was better at that than I was at accounting. So, and, and we'll definitely drive or jump to that at the end. But so, you know, I think that kind of sets up the stage well. So you did that in high school, you did it in college as you're earning the accounting degree. So now you come out of college, you jump into the accounting degree and, you know, four years or I assume four years or however long it takes you to get through the degree. Yeah, five, uh, five years. All right, I'll, I'll, I, you know, I, I was, uh, I think, nine and a half years to get all the way. I was going to say, yours was a little harder. <laughs> I, I did get four degrees, in my defense. I got a few degrees <laughs> along the way. Um, but, you know, so you come out of here, you know, do that for five years. It takes a while, a lot of time and effort to get all of that. Come out, start to work for accounting. And so what was, you know, maybe walk us through a little bit of what was your experience kind of coming out to accounting and how did that play into your journey? Yeah, Um you know, so I, I started at, at PwC um, as PricewaterhouseCoopers at the time. And, you know, the first thing to emphasize is fantastic learning experience, right? I got to work with, with really smart people who were hard workers, who uh, not only had, you know, despite the, the connotations that often uh, or, or stereotypes that associate with accountants, right, but were effective communicators, hard workers, great managers, great people developers, um, but also very operationally minded. And that taught me a lot. In fact, I think a lot of the success of moving worlds is because of that kind of crash course in operations. Um, but, you know, ultimately, you know, I, um, you're right, I'm, I'm privileged, right? I, I um, you know, financially not, right? Two, two immigrant parents that came over with, with nothing, but I had two parents, right? I'm, I'm a white guy. Uh, I grew up in Seattle and then in the suburb, uh, you know, went to a good public school. Um, and, you know, so I think I was already at a good foundation to be able to get offers. But when I was coming out of school, I had all this volunteer experience. So every accounting firm that I interviewed at, I ended up getting a job. And I remember, or a job offer, and that I remember the conversation was like, cool, you got the master's accounting. Tell me about what you do, not accounting. And I, and I could, I had all this experience as a volunteer uh, and 100% it, it's what helped me stand out as, as a candidate, I believe. Um, and so what, yeah, when I, ahead. well, so then when I started working, there was this funny irony where I went to my manager and I asked for a weekend off to go speak at this American Cancer Society conference. And it was in the busy, middle of busy season. And, and ultimately they gave me that support, which I appreciated, but you could tell that it was, uh, it was a favor that was done to me and it was not something that I should make a habit of if I cared about my career. And, and there was a, an element of irony there that here I was performing because of all this experience and yet I could no longer contribute or continue to engage in that, in those types of experiences. Um, mm. and, 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 and I struggled with that. Um, so that ultimately led me to, to pursue other options. So, so now, you know, there is a bit of irony there in the sense that that's probably what helped you to stand out. And yet it's also the thing that eventually led to you leaving because there wasn't, you know, 
it's kind of one of those where, hey, it's awesome that you're doing that. Now we have a whole bunch of work to do. We need to get that done. And that's, and I get it. It takes priority. That's what makes the money for the business. And that's how they support themselves. But there is that kind of that, you know, internal uh, back and forth or struggle as to, hey, I want, you know, like accounting, want to do it, but I also have, you know, this passion for doing other things. So as you kind of making your exit and say, okay, this probably isn't the, the best path for me, or, you know, I want to go do something else, or I kind of want to build on that you know, as you're doing that, then how did you decide what you're going to do next or kind of where was, where did you go from there? Yeah. You know, um, uh, got a little lucky. Uh, one of, um, one of my brother's friends, actually, uh, his dad owned this healthcare marketing company. And so he knew I was in accounting. So he said, Hey, will you, will you send this email to all your accounting friends? We're looking for, for an accountant for that, for that company. Um, and so, uh, I, I forward that request on to my network. Um, and then I emailed back and said, Hey, I know you're really busy. I'm not really interested in being an accountant, but I'd like to talk to you just as like for some career advice. Um, and, uh, uh, my brother's friend didn't set the conversation up very well. Uh, at least this is my version of the story. So we walk in, you know, uh, his, his dad, um, great guy, but is just like firing questions at me. And, um, and then he's like, okay, cool. When can you start? And I was like, hey, sorry, I actually don't want this. I don't want this job. This is why I'm coming to you. And he just looked at me. I think he thought I was crazy. And he said, I'll make you a deal. We're growing. Uh, you, come, you come handle accounting for us. You get the systems in place. And if projects start hitting our plate that um, I think you'd be good for, and you're done with your accounting work, then I'll give you then I'll start giving you exposure to that. Um, and I was currently, I was also planning a, a trip uh, for myself. I was like, I'm gonna go go international, just go kind of do some things and, and uh, explore a little bit more, you know, maybe engage in some more volunteer work. And he was like, but you gotta start right away. So mm-hmm. it was tough, but I, I put that trip on hold uh, and and started working there. And just every day, right, I was like, I was motivated to get through my accounting work. And then I'd ask a question like, Hey, you got anything for me today? You got anything for me today? Um, slowly people started like asking me for help if they were really, really busy, maybe with like, yeah, I remember like proofreading emails. Um, but then because we were a healthcare company, oftentimes we would look at big data sets and help clients think about how to use these data sets to better market things like blood glucose meters or patient satisfaction rates for nonprofit hospitals. And, um, and I was really good at Excel. And so people were like, Hey, can you help me like manipulate this data? Or like, and so I got to work on some data projects and then this really big account hit our plate. It was, um, uh, a, a big move into, uh, digital, uh, apps to help manage health data and, and help patients have access to their health data. It was very new. And this whole time I was blabbing about all the different ways digital could help the business, how we could help our own marketing. Um, and so they said, okay, cool. We, we don't have enough bandwidth. Will you help with this project? Uh, and so jumped in on it uh, and it turned into a huge, huge account for us. Uh, and ultimately Rick was requiring more and more of our time. And then we had that conversation and I had the choice to stay in accounting or go into marketing, um, client management, more towards the strategy side of things with that emphasis on digital. And so I, I took that opportunity. Hmm. 
So now you, so, and I, I, it sounds like it was a great opportunity and it was, you know, kind of probably going in the direction that you would kind of be more passionate about enjoying that. So, you, you know, you kind of switch over from the accounting side and doing those projects to more of the marketing and, and doing that side. Now, I think after a while, again, you kind of, correct me if I'm wrong, but they sold the company or they did something. And so then it kind of pushed you in a direction more of social enterprise. Is that right? Or, or am I yeah. that kind of <laughs> Yeah, so so what happened is is we learned that the, the the unit economic model for like a traditional healthcare marketing agency was different than digital. So we spun out. So the same owner actually created a new company that specifically did digital marketing, right? So it was faster deals, lower lower contract size, um, more strategy, data, app development, different team. Um, and so I had the opportunity to co-manage that, hmm. um, and um, you know, we, we, again, I kind of got lucky here in a way we hired some people that were more experienced to be like the actual leaders of that. Um, but for, for any number of reasons, those, those just weren't the right culture fit. Um, and so I kind of kept finding myself in like the kind of managing director role of that organization. Um, mm -hmm. and ultimately that kind of got solidified and then the great recession hit. Um, and that sucked. <laughs> Marketing is 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 fast to go, but we we made it through. And I remember skipping paychecks, uh, but um, the majority of the time, our our digital strategy group, um, we we're actually able to to retain our our full staff during it. And on the back end of that, you know, I was I was depleted, and um, the the owner was also depleted. And he said, "Hey, look, I'd really I want to productize." the things that you've been doing in marketing and I want you to sell. And like, do you think we can do that in the next two years? Uh, and I was like, I have a different idea. I was thinking we could really try and serve the nonprofit sector. Right. And we talked about it and he said, ultimately that's not what I'm interested in supporting. Um, and you know, he, he was a majority owner and he had worked hard to, to build up that, that organization enterprise. And so left on good terms, but hired my replacement and I wanted to go, immerse in this social enterprise, in this type of business model where all people's values were being, uh, values is the wrong word, all people's priorities were being cared for uh, um, and, and prioritized by the, by the organization. And that ultimately was a different legal structure. Yeah, and I, and I think that it, it makes sense that you're saying, hey, that's, that's a great, you know, great project, great endeavor. It's not the direction I want to take my business with. That's not where I want to head. And it's probably not where his passion is. So he's right. saying it probably doesn't line up. And so I think that, you know, probably to, to his offense, understanding that and recognizing it probably is beneficial because otherwise it was probably putting him in there, put, taking their business in the direction that you would have found exciting would have been great for, for you know, for your endeavors, but probably sure. wouldn't him. So it sounds like kind of that presents an opportunity. Okay, here's kind of where I found what my passion is, what I want to do, kind of the direction I want to head, not going to fit in with this company. So then where did you go from there? Yeah, so spent a year traveling and volunteering with other social businesses uh, around the world and, and social impact projects. So uh, Nepal, Indonesia, Malaysia, uh, New Zealand, and, and Argentina. And you know that's where you know I really saw firsthand that the, the power of of this idea of the of the social uh, business, right? Oftentimes, often called the the social enterprise. Um, and in the U.S., the, the legal designation for this actually varies state by state, but it's often called the benefit corporation. Mm. Uh, and um, yeah, and so got to work on, on a number of these organizations and was also really intrigued by the, the community that develops in cities 
to support that type of movement. Uh, and yeah, when I came back, I, I, was, I was sold, right? I, I thought that this was the future, not only of, of startups, right? But, but potentially actually, right? It, you know, if you go back to, to 2010, um, obviously the, the um, economic inequalities that were magnified during, during the Great Recession, uh, further magnified now, uh, but at the time, right, it was, it was really headline. Uh, and still the climate crisis, right? It, it was not as pronounced as it is today, but it was, it was well known, uh, right? This is after an inconvenient truth, right? We, we knew this was a priority. And so I was really curious of how business could be used as a tool to, um, uh, to be made aware that its actions were creating these problems um, mm -hmm. and so that less harm could be, be created, um, but that also more good be created in, in ways that really would be uh, you know, in win-win relationships. So now question on that, because, you know, there's a difference between social enterprise and I think there's, there's great business out there that are figured out models and there's, you know, plenty of business out there that they have a great idea, they're passionate about it, but you can never figure out how to make it into a business. Yeah. And so, you know, then it basically is all, well, we'll become a donation, you know, and then it's trying to support it via all donations, which is yep. sometimes work, but most of the time, you know, at least what I've seen is, is going to be difficult in the sense that a lot of times you know, to get that continual donation going forever is yeah. not going to How did you take from, you know, kind of this, you, you figure out your passion, kind of where you want to focus on what you want to do and actually turn it into something where you can sustain it or you can build it or it can actually, you know, kind of stand on its own two legs? Yeah, you know, I think um, for us, it really started with like, like, what is the job to be done, right? Like, like what, what is the need out there that's currently being, being unmet? And was there a place that needed a solve? And for us, the solve was a lot of these, you know, social businesses, right, were, were growing, but it was, it was really hard to grow, right? They often didn't have the, the professional expertise around operationalizing, uh, around marketing, around selling, and they didn't have the financial power to be able to hire the talent they needed, right? So, mm -hmm. We saw this opportunity to say, you know, and this was very influenced by my own experience, right? Um, but people had been following my blog. And so I knew that there were working professionals interested in volunteering their skills to also support this kind of growing movement. Uh, and so we said, okay, there, there is something here, right? We could be a nonprofit, right? We could try and raise foundation or philanthropic capital to, to support this model. Um, or we can right? We believe in this social enterprise movement, but let's find if there's a way to, to monetize. So, um, you know, I'll be honest, we, tr we tried to raise money uh, as, as, a, um, as a, a philanthropic venture. Um, before going through the expensive legal process of creating a nonprofit, we validated it first, and we found that we probably didn't have an easy road to funding. So we said, mm -hmm. okay, is there a market-driven way to do this? And what we found is ultimately there was, but it wasn't where we expected it was actually through the volunteers. It was professionals saying, look, I'm thinking about getting a master's degree in an MBA, a master's in social enterprise, uh, a master's in, in, uh, in public administration, public health, uh, mm -hmm. and, but I need experience, right? Either in place of or in addition to that degree. And so we had people 10 to 20 years in their career um, the average is actually uh, uh, seven years, but yeah, let's say five to 15 years in their career coming to us and saying, 
I want to do this, but I also want to learn. And so we decided to create a community around these professionals, giving their skills, give them learning opportunities, give them networking opportunities. Um, and that actually turned into a, a viable business model for us to launch a prototype, um, a kind of start a, a, a V1 business. Uh, and then we, we caught the attention of, of some great companies like Microsoft who said, this is a really, really cool experience. And we'd actually like to create a program in partnership with you where our employees can engage in skills-based volunteering, but also in some of this community and learning activities that you've developed so they can learn in the process. Um, and so for us, that, that became you know, an, an even better business opportunity. And as we just continued to listen to our customers, uh, what we learned was businesses started to invest in this, not only for like employee engagement, leadership development outcomes, but also because, in, and we see it like every week right now, there's some new company saying, hey, we're going to be, you know, carbon negative by 2025 or 2030, right? Or we're going to be equitable or we're going to work with diverse suppliers. And they're coming to us now and saying, hey, we need connections to these, to these social enterprises because they can actually help us create green supply chains uh, that take better care of their workers. Uh, and we go to them and we say, hey, great, if you can support if you can get financial capital these social enterprises and human capital, then we can help them get to a, a place of operational efficiency to connect into your business models. Hmm. Uh, and, and that's kind of fueling our next wave of growth. No, I think that's, and you kind of answered the question I was going to ask, which is kind of where do you see things heading and what's kind of the next steps and which is, it sounds like you're already well down that road and kind of have that uh, roadmap planned out. So now we'll kind of with that and always a lot more things than we ever have time to chat with sure. always questions at the end of each podcast. We'll jump to those now. And just as a reminder, everybody else, we also will have the bonus question. We'll talk a little bit about intellectual property after the normal episode ends. But as we jump to those two questions, the first question I always ask is along your journey that we just discussed, what was the worst business decision you ever made? And what did you learn from it? <laughs> um, we made a lot. Uh... <laughs> I think we all do. I, you know, uh, maybe I'm, I'm going a little too like heady here, but I, I'm just like, I'm reminded by this quote time and time again, right? And it's that, that humans do not learn from the lessons of history. That is the most important lesson of history. And I, I, as I was like chalking up all the failures, I was like, there's a common theme in all my biggest mistakes, which is that somebody told me not to make those mistakes, right? That like somebody was like, literally, you won't scale as fast as you think you can. Literally, you will need more customer service budget. Literally, there are better ways to screen talent, right? And we made all those mistakes. And, and so I, I, I kind of pull it up to say, like, I think my biggest lesson is as an entrepreneur, you get, you get a lot of advice and you have to filter through it, right? Mm -hmm. our, we are growing fastest right now on this kind of evolved business model that I was talking about that a year ago, somebody told me was a really bad idea, right? So people also give you bad advice and you have to filter through it. I think what, what I've really learned from not heeding advice and then tripping into the same pitfalls that other entrepreneurs have made is to react to it, all advice with a lot more curiosity, right? And to better understand, like, I really appreciate that advice. What assumptions are you are you giving, are, are behind your advice and, and like exploring that more. And also saying like, hey, be more direct with me. What mistakes do you see me making or what am I not hearing in this advice? 
So I think it's turned me, it, it's helped me better listen to the advice, not only of like advisors and mentors, but also of my team. Like I have an awesome team and, and they will tell me things. And I explore that, I think in a more generative way now, um, mm -hmm. because earlier it used to be just like, okay, cool. That's your opinion. Um, but it's the insight behind that opinion that's so valuable. Yeah. And I like that. Cause I think that to your point, you're going to get or every, you know, everybody is advice is a lot of times what you pay for it in the sense that there isn't worth a lot of value. Some of it is great advice and you should absolutely listen to it and you have to filter it. But to at least, you know, understand why they're giving that advice or the thoughts behind it or kind of what's motivating that, even if you disagree with it or you say, okay, I appreciate that, you know, you can take it into consideration. You can incorporate what you're doing and then continue on and continue forward. So I think it's kind of that balance of filtering out what is good advice, what's bad advice, what's advice you should take now, which ones you shouldn't consider, and then how you also understand the motivation or the, the you know, experience behind the advice. So even if you're not going to heed the advice, you can still learn something. So I think that that's yeah. definitely something that's great to learn, learn or learn along your journey. And also it's an easy mistake to make that, hey, I'm just not going to listen to anybody because there's some truth to that. If you listen to every, all the naysayers, you would never do anything because you would always get people to tell you why it's not going to work and you would never yep. do anything. So there's that whole that balance. Second question I always ask is, um, you know, if you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Yeah. Um, obsess over your customers um, in ways where you like really, really understand their like, you know, job to be done, right? That which is, and, and here I reference like the Clayton Christensen model of like, what are people actually looking to hire somebody or something for, right? And he gives this great example of, of actually like McDonald's milkshakes, right? And I, I use this one a lot where it turns out the most popular time that people buy McDonald's milkshakes is in the morning. Uh, it's, it's a commute, it's a breakfast, right? And, and, and he says, you know, people try to hire a banana uh, for, uh, for their breakfast, right? Because what they needed was something that would keep them full, give them energy, make them feel good, um, and be easy on their drive. And they mm -hmm. tried hiring a banana for it, but they were hungry 30 minutes later, right? They tried to hire oatmeal for it, but they were spilling on their lap. So anytime they hired something and it didn't work, they then spent time or resources trying to find a new solution. And mm -hmm. so often I think like new businesses or startups We'll get too obsessed with the idea, right? Oh, let me make a better milkshake. Not obsessing about the problem that people have, right? Which is, I need a quick, energetic breakfast. It's easy to commute on my drive, and I will spend money to do it. So people end up commute like trying to compete with milkshakes as opposed to developing like something that people really want, which is, and what they're willing to pay for. So I, I love that model, and I, and I just almost every you know advice call I have with an entrepreneur exposes the fact that they actually don't know what their customers are willing to pay money for. They'll say, hey, I did a survey and people said, I want a better tasting whatever, or I did a survey and people think that this solution is important. And then I'll ask like, okay, well, when's the last time somebody paid money to hire someone to find a better tasting milkshake, right? Or hired someone to find a better tool, right? Um, and they're like, oh, well, people don't spend any money to do something like that. I'm like, great. So they're not looking for a new solution. So you don't have a business model, right? So I, I think it's really understanding what are people willing to spend money on and how can you really stand out as the best solution? 
No, I agree that. And I, you know, it kind of almost goes back to one of the books I love is, you know, Simon Sinek's, you know, starting with why. Yeah. Play it on the slaughter of the title. Yeah. Yeah. Start with why. Yep. Focuses on the why of it, not just, you know, hey, why do you go buy it, you know, this computer versus that computer? Why do you buy this phone? All of them have a lot of the same features and you're not buying it just for the phone because all of them work just for the phone. And I think even just that kind of that starting with why and understanding why they're purchasing it, why they're buying the product, why they need it, why they want it, totally. is that benefit. And that's one of the things that, you know, as, I, as we've evolved even with my business, we've started to focus less on, we can tell them a whole bunch of things, why we're qualified, why we're the best, why we're going to have better pricing, better quality. At the end of the day, all those things are telling them what we do, but not necessarily why they would go for us and why they'd want it. So I think that that is a great, uh, you know, great, or a great lesson to learn for everybody out there. Yeah. Well, as we wrap up and before we get to the bonus question, if people want to reach out to you, they want to be a client, a customer, they want to hire you to come do some training or they want to uh, be a employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you and find out more? Sure. Uh, check us out on, on movingworlds.org. Um, you know, find me and connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, and yeah, if anything really resonates here, uh, I do I do one slot a week just for like kind of mentorship or community support. Uh, so you can shoot me an email at marketmovingworlds.org. Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage people to check out the website, reach out to you and find out more because it's certainly a great cause. Well, thank you again uh, for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you want to uh, have your own journey to tell, we'd love to have you on the podcast to share it. If you uh, to sign up, just go to inventiveguest.com and apply to be on the show. Two more things as a listener. One, make sure to click subscribe in your podcast player so you know when all of our awesome episodes come out. And two, leave us a review so everybody else can find out about all of our awesome episodes. Last but not least, if you ever need help with patents, trademarks, or anything else, just go to strategymeeting.com. So now we get it. Now, as we wrap up the normal part of the episode, we always get to jump onto the fun, or at least for me, the fun part. It's all fun. So I, it's not like one's more fun than the other. But I get to switch a bit of gears because now I get to talk about something that I'm also passionate about, which is intellectual property and helping startups and small businesses. So it's kind of fun to switch gears. So with that, I'll turn it over to you to ask your number one intellectual property question. Yeah. So, you know, I think, you know, oftentimes in, in let's say, like the social business space, um, you know, we don't have like a, uh, a tech innovation, right? It's usually like a process innovation, right? We, we figured out some type of last mile or, or first mile or, or um, uh, you know, unit economic way of delivering value to, to constituents that, that wasn't there before. And it's usually more governed by, say, a useful process, right? And um, because of our business model, we're very, very partnership-minded. Right. And so, you know, it's it's quite transparent. It's quite kind of easy to figure out how that is um, and 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 how that and how we work. Um, and so our value, our mode has just been like, look, it's not something that's protectable. Um, and in fact, if other people want to borrow from it, <laughs> it's actually kind of a compliment. Like they should. And we will we will keep inventing for our customers and, and provide better, better value to them. Um, and we'll continue to kind of earn our business, you know, the right way. Now, that said. Uh, attribution is always nice, right? Uh, and I guess my my question here is for innovations that are not traditionally, you know, protectable under under IP law, right? And I could be totally off on my understanding there, but yeah, do you have any guidance on saying like, hey, you know, this isn't this isn't rocket science, but 
it is a process innovation or a content innovation. Um, and what's the best way to let our partners use that and benefit from it, even if it's in some ways competitive, um, but in a way that also still kind of brings things attribution back. Yeah, way to give me an easy question. <laughs> um, no, because it, it it's a hard one to, to figure out because it's, there isn't a straightforward or an easy answer. So that's more opposite of an easy question. You know, <laughs> as far as patents, you're probably right. Patents are usually geared towards technology, for a product, for a, you know, it's something that's more tangible. It can be software, it can be hardware. If you do, do some innovations, and there's still some that are going on and that kind of industry, then you can patent it. But if you're saying, hey, what we're doing is more of a cause, we're doing training, we're doing materials, then patents really, it doesn't fit into that model. It used to be, you know, several years ago, you can kind of get business methods with patents. Those are now very incredibly difficult to get if you can get them. And so I don't typically recommend those. And so then you're saying, okay, well, what else can we do? And, you know, some of it is, right, is flattering that they copy it. Hey, we're trying to lift all ships. We're trying to make a cause in the movement. It's okay, but at the same time, if you're putting in a ton of blood, sweat, and tears, a lot of work, you're building a brand, what well, all these things, and at least you want to get attribution, you want to be recognized, or those type of things. One thing is certain, always going to be on the trademark side, which is you can get a brand, you can build a actual brand around your business, and you know that can be everything from hey, we all we want is an attribution that if you're going to use our information, you put our brand there, and we have like you know, and or you, if you want to use our material, you have to pay us as a part of our brand. So, you know, getting a trademark there sometimes works well for the name of the company, a cash raise, the kind of the cause. The other thing that sometimes you'll do is also get into more of a, almost a certification, which is sometimes you'll be depending on the industry, you're saying, hey, they're certified to be a, or, you know, that they've gone through our training and they're going to be a competitor, or they've, you know, they've got our stamp of approval and those type of things. And that also tends to fall into trademark because now you're using that as an indication of your brand that, hey, we've got, you know, they are certified or they are, they are doing the cause that we promote type of a thing. And that can oftentimes be a way to either get, you know, attribution to be able to control, to make sure that people aren't using your materials in a way that you don't want those type of things. And you can always copyright some of your materials. If you have great training courses or great videos, sometimes you want to or control those and you want to protect those. You can do that through copyrights. The last thought, and then we'll wrap up, is you know one of the other things that a lot of times you can look at is it doesn't necessarily come first to mind. It's almost sometimes almost a franchise model in the sense that you're franchising your cause or you're trying to spread your cause and you want to have almost different branches or groups or divisions. And so it kind of re it resonates with the same franchise model. Now you're not opening up a McDonald's or a Wendy's or some of those things, but you could almost go down the franchise route of, hey, we're giving them a system, a course, a way of doing it, which is what a McDonald's is, right? The reason you go open up a McDonald's franchise is they figured out location, they figured out the recipe, they figured out the price, they've got the national campaigns. And so you're buying into that franchise for all of those resources behind it. In some degree, that's the same thing you guys are doing in a much different realm as you're franchising your cause. Not that it has to be, you know, the same capitalistic model and those type of things, but it still gives you the ability to say, here's how you go out and you start getting in your, you know, grassroots, doing your cause, doing these things. Here's how you do the outreach. Here's how you do that. And sometimes it, it would be akin to that type of model. So those are a few ideas. Cool. It's not a few questions, but I throw out a few of the different answers. So yeah. with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up. And if you or any of the listeners have any other questions, always feel free to grab some time. You can just go to strategymeeting.com. Always happy to chat about any questions, intellectual property, business, or anything else. Um, with that, we'll wrap up. Thanks again, Mark, for coming on and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last.
Awesome. Thanks so much, Devin. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you.